listening to the voices behind Women's Cricket Chat. That's Alex, Hannah, Georgie and Cassie. Coming up on today's podcast, we've got Ireland international wicketkeeper Mary Waldron. Now we talked to Mary about her career as a wicketkeeper, where she fell in love with the game and how she got into umpiring and what paths there are for that. We also talked to Mary about Ireland getting test status and what that meant for the country as a whole and how cricket is on the rise in Ireland. Just a note to say that this episode was recorded before the Ireland and Zimbabwe series. So obviously Mary really got in touch with you from Women's Cricket Chat because as you can tell we love a bit of women's cricket and um you seem to love a bit of women's cricket too, choosing it instead of football, so that's quite cool. And obviously, you're playing, you're umpiring, you're up to everything, really. So today, we joined by the wonderful Mary Waldron. What I'd love to know first is what made you choose cricket instead of football? Oh, um, well, I played the two of them for a long time together not a long time like probably like maybe four or five years and then we qualified for our first t20 world cup um, and so we training like six days a week and i was captain of my football team and i like to lead by example so i knew i wouldn't make training um enough um kind of so i just was like i may as well just go 100 into cricket so that was really it so a chance to play in a world cup essentially was my reason and as you are irish and hurling is such a massive sport there did you ever dabble in a little bit of hurling um so I played I'd say when I was maybe I'm gonna say maybe 15 or 16 a couple of games but my sister played and I played a couple of games actually with both my sisters in the local club but I didn't really but yeah it's female female hurling is called camogie so yeah um, so I played a, f- a handful of games of camogie but never really because so- I was into soccer from maybe I think I joined a club when I was like 11 or 12 and I- it was quite serious so just in terms of like training times for club stuff it always there was always a clash with soccer training so that was my my first sport yeah I wish I wish I played a bit more and so when you decided to take up cricket who and what was it that inspired you to first start um so I played um so I played soccer in university I went to UCD here in Dublin and one of my friends on the team girl called Kathy Murphy she's born in South Africa but she's Irish so went to school here and also went to uni we were friends and she just loved cricket like wouldn't stop talking about it and because we were friends I just went I went socially just to watch a few games and kind of got roped in because I was sporty just to add you know asked to fill in and I know also I mean I found it quite a challenge like I think cricket's one of those it you know, if you've never played it, you look at it and go, God, that's really easy. Why don't they hit the ball harder? Or why don't they run? Well, there's a single there, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like a bit of an addiction, I think, because it looks easier than it is. And so you're always wanting to try and get better and try and understand the game a bit more. But yeah, that's it. So Kathy Murphy's got a lot to a lot to be blamed for. Yeah, so you say Kathy Murphy has a lot to blame. And obviously, women's cricket in Ireland is very much on the up. And... You were just playing in the ICC qualifiers. How was that? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it, it's one of those we haven't, I have never had to play in one of those before because we automatically qualified for the global qualifiers because we qualified for the T20, if that makes sense, for the World Cup itself. So that was my first experience of the qualifiers. So yeah, look, we didn't we didn't achieve our goal of winning, which was a bit disappointing, but it's it's great to play against some new teams and see cricket growing and evolving in that way. And full credit to Scotland for, for winning. They played brilliantly and certainly in our game, um Catherine Bryce was under a huge amount of pressure and she did brilliantly. Um 
as she has done in, in England the last few years. So I, yeah, almost respect for her and the way she played and well done to them. But yeah, disappointing from our point of view. But yeah, as I said, great to play against some new teams and, and see cricket growing across Europe. And you just mentioned there that although it was disappointing for Ireland not to win as a whole, what was it like to witness Gabby Lewis make history as the first Irish woman to score an international T20 hundred? Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, you kind of come up against a team like Germany and you're like, you don't know what you're going to get really because you've watched some video footage, but you don't know actually on the day what the bowler is going to come like. You don't have stacks and stacks of footage to watch. So, yeah, it was um, it was great to watch. And Gabby's phenomenal batter. Like, unfortunately, she didn't get the runs probably in in the hundred that she would have liked. But we see her week in, week out, like smash the ball around. So, yeah, it was just another day. I was fortunate to see Cecilia Joyce and Claire Shillington both score T20-hundreds, but obviously they weren't T20-Is at the time. That's only changed in the last few years. So that's my third third women hundred to, to witness in the T20. So yeah, it was, it was definitely up there. And obviously with this tournament, momentum is high in Ireland. Where do you see it going in terms of progressing the women's game forward? Yeah, I think... I think that tournament was, um, yeah, it's important. And obviously we we can still potentially qualify for that T20. So um, we need to keep an eye on other results. But for us, and I think the long-term growth of um, women's cricket here is actually our 50 over World Cup qualifiers um, towards the end of the year in Zimbabwe. Um, and that's purely based on the fact, obviously qualifying for a 50 over World Cup would be awesome. But the re- retaining our 10th ranking and going into the chance to go into the championship and have home and away ODIs for the next for the following two years would be I think that would mark a, a huge um huge, another growth spurt really for for Irish cricket in, in my opinion anyway but yeah I mean when I first started playing cricket um which was or for cricket for Ireland which is what maybe 11 years ago now I used to have to explain to people what cricket was you know they're like cricket okay that's random and but now everybody knows what cricket is and so it's it's definitely you know just growing amongst the general public as well which is great and you say you started 11 years ago, not your favourite memory, perhaps, at the beginning, getting out for two ducks in a row, but one of those only ways up from here. How do you sort of fight back from a moment like that when you start out and you're like, oh God, okay, this has not started well, what's next for me? Yeah, well, my, my two ducks in a row were playing club cricket for Pembroke. And I literally had no idea that, and had zero expectations about cricket I was just like yeah I'll walk out here and do do whatever so that didn't that respect it didn't really hold me back because I was only beginning I'm my international I also started with a a duck as well against New Zealand which was fab and then I had a zero off 29 balls not out against England in my second in my second game so it could really only go up from there but I was I was selected as a wicketkeeper and I literally, I learned to bat during international cricket, really. So it wasn't, I didn't, I wanted to do well, but the expectations of, of you know, scoring runs and that weren't there, nor were they from the team or the coaching staff for my first few years. So it was really just about um, keeping wicket really well and and learning about cricket, um, if that makes sense. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of weird when you should know more about cricket being an international, but that's kind of where I learned a lot of my cricket. So it was a little bit backwards, but yeah, I had, I didn't have a lot of pressure put on me, which I think, I think helped. Um, but I'd also played another international sport. So I wasn't, um, it wasn't sort of in a daunting arena, I think for me going in at that. And also I was, you know, my mid, mid twenties, a little bit more life experience under the belt helps as well, I think. Also, you shouldn't be too worried about getting 
ducks at the international stage. England's wicketkeeper Joss Butler got a duck in his first T20 match, his first ODI match, and almost in his first Test match. So, and, and look where he is now. Yeah, he's so, doing all right. Like you say, you can only go up. And as, it's cricket as well. It happens too. Ducks, ducks do happen. And as we know, during the World Cup qualifiers, we were watching, we were following. We we happened to notice that you were wicketkeeping in a face mask. Have you always kept in a face mask? And if not, when did you start keeping with a face mask? Yes, I have. Um, I have and I did. I did rebuttal on on um, on Twitter to say that you're definitely not Irish fans if, if you didn't know that I kept in a, in a mask. I have done since... I'd say when I started keeping, because I remember wearing a helmet. And actually, my very first game, I think even club cricket, I played against a woman who top edged the ball into her own face and she had was cut. So I was like, OK, this is a great introduction for me because I'll always wear a helmet. It was kind of my first experience. I was like, that makes it easy. So with wiki keeping and I bear in mind, I hadn't watched a lot of cricket either in my life. So it wasn't I didn't. It's not like, you know, you know what happens when you play a football match because you see it all the time. Whereas cricket, I didn't really. So when I was keeping and moving down to the legs, I'd just dive, I wouldn't move my feet. I'd just dive like a kind of like a, a football keeper. So I used to bang my head all the time with a helmet. And it was like, I was like, this is there has to be something easier here. So I just basically Googled face mask. And I think it's a baseball mask that I got. So I've worn it for, yeah. 10 years at least 10 12 years and, and so on the topic of wiki keeping you say you originally brought in as a keeper what was it that drew you to being a keeper it was literally just our, our my club wiki keeper um was a an archaeologist she actually was also in and around the irish squad at the time so she just got called away in a dig during the summer and so she wasn't available so it was complete random and my captain um at the time Kira Metcalf um ex um, Irish international she just was like you be a keeper um and I was like grand because I think to be fair as you know I was kind of athletic in the field and I wasn't scared of the ball so I think that probably and everybody else probably had a skill set I was kind of just a fielder if that makes sense at the time so yeah so it was literally just random that I got there and you have talked about this previously and we can't bring this up on the pod without talking to you about it but you are also an umpire and I think you are the youngest qualified female umpire as well I'm not 100% sure on that I might need to check that and you also mentioned that you sort of fell into umpiring while working in Malahide could you explain to us about that and how umpiring is maybe perhaps helped you when playing for Ireland? Yeah, I'll try and remember all those uh, segments. Um, so I would say I'm definitely not the youngest qualified umpire, but I will take that, absolutely. And definitely, I know certainly on the ICC development panel, I'm older than Claire Polisak and Eloise Sheridan. So, and I'd say um, Eden as well from uh, South Africa. So I definitely can't claim that one, but I'll, you know, I'd say in Ireland I'm the youngest, I'll take that one. I, yeah, so I, I started my club cricket in Pembroke um, and I moved to Malahide um, to just basically progress my batting because obviously it was in for my keeping and that was fine, but I, I couldn't hold the bat at all. So I moved to Malahide and one of my, um, I ended up being cricket development officer there um, once um, and part of that was managing the boys under 15s team and basically as anyone who does any sort of coaching during the summer will know you've got to pick the team get the team to the ground make sure they're all fed score um, and umpire and pretty much do everything and um, I didn't like coaching was good I always felt really anxious that everybody was enjoying themselves and having fun and that kind of stuff and I I oddly 
just really enjoyed the umpiring and made sure that I did a good job and was always paying attention. And like, I wouldn't never be on my phone at square leg, like, you know, which is fairly standard practice, I imagine, for, for some people. So, yeah, so I'd, I'd been in Tasmania for one season at that stage. So when I went back to Tasmania, I asked them to basically train me up properly and, and sent me out in midweek games with like guys from the state panel. That was brilliant. Like, so Pagatas really, really set me up early doors there. Um, and in terms of helping me, during playing I've definitely developed some routines and um, in my batting that have come from umpiring and then obviously if there's any rain delays I'll get about a thousand questions from everyone and one of the most popular questions now if I ever meet anyone is you know how do you do your four signal and stuff like that which is I mean it's it's embarrassing but it's a conversation starter um but yeah it's definitely say I definitely I mean I get annoyed at umpires for sure like it's you know, even last night I played a club game and there was like two LBs and I was like, they're absolutely stitched and not given. But I was like, that's absolutely me on the weekend. I don't give them until I'm sure. And I know people are like, oh, would she ever just give that LB? So there's umpires who don't do anything that I don't do myself. So I have a little bit more empathy, not a huge amount, but a, a fraction more. And so you are also only the eighth woman ever to be appointed to ICC's development panel of umpires how did that feel were you really was that a, a very proud moment in your cricketing career yeah absolutely um because at the time I think there was only yeah there was only six of us I think and I, th- I think it kind of just came from nowhere as well I, I I guess when you come into something like that and you're kind of just going you go through the process and you're learning and stuff like that and then to be going to do it it was a bit of a surprise but um yeah it's absolutely brilliant and I get lots of I've umpired in some men's T20 qualifiers here in Europe and just get exposed to the the training like I did a lot of DRS and TV third umpire training with the ICC over over the winter and stuff like that as well so it's just I mean it's just a different exposure to different sides of the game and you've got huge support there so that was brilliant. Yeah and also so you've had all that development and you've white ball stuff and you previously said that you would hope to umpire a test match but you'd want to play one first. So um, what are your hopes looking ahead with Ireland to that one? When do you think? That's a great question. Um, and one I think we probably have to ask a little bit more um, when that might happen. I just, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I'd absolutely love to, because if anybody knows my batting style, it's slow and steady. Um, unfortunately, even though I try and whack it, it's definitely slow and steady. Um, so I think a test match would be awesome. And just that challenge, like, it's 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 brilliant but yes i i have no idea i'm not very hopeful of of the of the prospect of it to be honest in terms of playing in terms of umpiring a test match i think it's probably potentially more opportunity certainly if if there's more women's tests being played around the world but um yeah i'd definitely be i mean i'd love to absolutely but where we are at the minute and the priorities in terms of scheduling i'm not for test matches up there for the women unfortunately but yeah I'll definitely keep asking the question. Social media plays such an important role in cricket especially women's cricket do you get a lot of support from the men on social media or is it very much you guys are sort of I don't know what the right word is but you guys are sort of getting yourselves out there. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Um, and I think actually, I think social media has been absolutely amazing for the growth of women's sport. Like it's been so important. But like, so yourselves getting stuff out there. I mean, you can literally just open an account and get it out there. You don't have to, you know, be begging editors to put it in newspapers and stuff like that. So I think it's it's really been a game changer for women's sport in general across the globe. 
and certainly you can see there's many issues even I know the Afghan women there's an issue this morning and you can see journalists across the world are retweeting and getting the support out there so that's that's been really um really big so hopefully there's been big changes made there and um, but I do think for in our own terms um it is board from the men I'm actually on the board for our players association as well so I interact a lot we cover both the men and women and there's there's men and women on the board so we interact them and I know they're fully supportive whether that comes across on social media I'm not too sure it's not something that sticks out so I think if they didn't I'd think I'd probably notice a bit more so now I do feel generally generally supported by the guys and, and certainly any meetings we have our, our issues are are at the top of their list as well they're they're very supportive and you're on the board which is always fab to have a member of the women's team on the board um what are they doing to try and boost the women's game in Ireland and do you feel that you're integral to that as the sort of insider? Yeah so it's so I'm on the board for our players association um, as opposed to so the equivalent of the English PCA so not actually on the Cricket Ireland board itself but what we would do is um, collate information from the players and any queries or concerns the players would have we'd be we'd have access to Cricket Ireland to ask those questions so um, I mean it's been great. I'm certainly in the women's side. We've had, you know, we've more fixtures, better support. We've obviously got our part-time contacts now, which are growing. We're we're in touch with Cricket Ireland about their um growth strategy for women's cricket and stuff like that. So yeah, I think they're doing plenty. Always more to do. Absolutely. In women's sport, there is always more to do, but it's picking and, and choosing what's the next most important thing. And certainly. I'd be looking to to keep pushing to get more um, equality on on the Cricket Ireland board itself, more more women involved there just for that diversity of opinion, obviously. So, yeah, but I have to say Cricket Ireland are, have been very supportive over the last while. But yeah, we could, um, they would say the same themselves. They would want to do more, but it's actually just putting that into practice is the, is the difference. And obviously you wear many hats, wicketkeeper, umpire, on the island's version of the PCA, how do you manage to balance everything? Yeah, it's tricky. I've said I just started a new job there as well, so I'm, <laughs> my head's exploding. But um, I think I like to get my fixtures in my diary, and and I know what's coming up, so I can plan accordingly. And I'm pretty, I'm a pretty relaxed person, so if I need some, if I need some time to just go for coffee or go for a walk or do whatever, I'll. I'll kind of set my stall out and say, no, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm relaxing today if that's needed. But yeah, I just, I like, I'm a, I'm a manual diary person. So I like to get everything in my diary. So I know it's coming. And obviously the whole world was shook by COVID-19 in 2020. How much of an impact for you as an international player did it have on training, matches, international matches, all that stuff? Yeah, it was massive. So I actually, I stayed, I was playing um, club cricket and um, working out in Australia at the time. In, and I was kind of, it kind of, lockdown happened here, sort of the start of March in 2020. And then I was still, I still had my job in Australia and stuff like that. So I was like kind of just waiting out to see what was going to happen. And then I had my job and I was like, if I come back to Ireland, I'm not going to have a job. So I just kind of sat tight and, and see how things went. And then I ended up staying. So um, from an international perspective, I literally missed four games. I missed the Scotland series that started this summer and that was it. So it's kind of, it just goes to show you the impact it had on, on women's sport in general. There was very few fixtures and lots of things cancelled. So I didn't miss out on too much. And, and obviously Zoom 
Zoom meetings or fab to stay in touch with the team. I did have to, I had a lot of 4 a.m. starts to, you know, just do the team building stuff. And I remember um, one of the girls, Sean, organized a cooking class. So I cooked like, a, you know, 10 course tapas dinner at like four o'clock in the morning. I was like, this is wrong. So all went in the fridge then. But um, it had a massive impact. I was, I was, you know, it was, it was one of those mixed ones. I was, I was stuck away from the team, but I was then able to do, you know, a full set of gym, full set of training, full season in Australia. So, you know, for my own cricket, it was fine and stuck away. But obviously, the impact on on our international cricket was was pretty big. Not having a lot of fixtures during during COVID. And so, in the continual recovery from that, what do you think the next most important thing is to get under everyone's belts? I think just, I think it's more cricket. Now, I know, like, even the top five teams want more cricket, but certainly in this day and age of obviously the managed bubble, it's very difficult. So I think, I think somehow figuring out a way to kind of deal with COVID and get through series without, because I can't see how this would be prolonged because you see even you know a few of the girl New Zealand girls not traveling for the England series um because of bubble fatigue and that's totally understandable so we need to find a balance of how we how we travel play quarantine work with governments all those kind of things so I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon unfortunately certainly not with the southern hemisphere countries but we need to we need to keep growing the amount of fixtures and that's across that's ourselves it's Australia, it's England, it's it's all the teams. So, but yeah, more fixtures really, but how we go about that is, isn't easy. And you mentioned that you decided to stay in Australia. What are some of the differences in the setups in Australia in comparison to Ireland? Well, I will say first and foremost, facilities, that is a massive difference. Because even like, even in a club training session, I'd train on grass, wickets and we don't um, have any um, grass wickets for training here really like every now and again we'd have a centre wicket practice so that's massive now um, Cricket Ireland are building grass now um, so we will hopefully have access by next next summer to train on but we don't we train on um, AstroTurf so it's a massive difference massive massive difference so yeah that's one also the just the structure I think I think the playing numbers in Australia are that much bigger that the structure is probably just a little bit more organized we play men's cricket on a Saturday or I umpire and then we play all our games on a Sunday and there's there's enough there's enough grounds also so for here in Ireland we we play our international cricket at club grounds there's no you know Adelaide Oval or Number two, where we can we can go where Karen Rolton over and play all the big games there, but we have to rely on clubs. So because it's still a growing sport here in Ireland, um, facilities, I think, is probably the biggest difference. And obviously the growth numbers in playing, but I know in, in cities like Adelaide and Perth, the, it wouldn't be too far off Dublin in terms of population-wise. So it's probably similar, but Melbourne, Sydney, the population and the playing group is massive. So they just, yeah, I think the standard and depth probably in those leagues are a bit better, but, and the sunshine. Jules, do you think it's the exposure that the women's game gets over there because it is such a big thing and there is quite a chasm between the Australian side and those at the top and others lower down in the women's game? Do you think the exposure and the media presence that they have is what is helping them continue to perform at such a high level? Yeah, definitely it is. It's kind of a, 
it's a different one because we're it's just not a mainstream sport here in Ireland so it's growing at that like base level at the grassroots level for us and just getting the general population to understand what cricket is as opposed to like cricket's a mainstream sport that's what everybody plays on, on Christmas day in the backyard or boxing day or whatever but I do think the support they get is unbelievable and but their performances back it up as well they've they're I actually was in I was in the MCG for the final on the 8th of March that was so cool um, but just that experience of being in a massive crowd going to a women's game but it was absolutely pumped I also went I went to the women's World Cup final in the West Indies the two years previous and it was just like it was just like another day you wouldn't have known well there was some there was some I mean, that was probably a little unfair there was some marketing around it but like you couldn't have if you're you would have been under a rock if you didn't know that World Cup final was happening so I do think it's brilliant in the marketing and certainly the diversity and, um, you know, equal pay and stuff like that, that cricket or, or cricket or cricket Australia really strive for and make sure they've got diversity on their boards, all that kind of stuff. They really, really push for equality and high standards for the women. And yeah, look, I'm, the same, I'm sure they'd say themselves, they're not there yet, certainly with the domestic structure and, and pay there. It's not, um, it's not the best can be, but it's certainly going in the right direction. But they, they back it up with their performances. Absolutely. Craig Australia also have a little bit of a bigger budget than Cricket Ireland, so I'm not having to go there either. So they've got a bit more money to work with from a starting point. And you mentioned that you were at the final of the T20 World Cup. Do you feel that it was a defining moment in the MCG, sold out, packed crowd? It's something that's not been seen before in women's cricket. So do you think... It could have been a defining moment in in that it's putting women's cricket on the stage. Yeah, it certainly felt like it the time and just kind of just struggling to walk around in the stadium trying to find the entrance. Like they just had to, you wouldn't do it now because of COVID, obviously you'd be like, get away from me. But it was um yeah, it was just like any normal cup final day where your your team's fans, obviously, I just, you know, I was supporting the umpires, obviously. Um, but you know you just wanted a good game of cricket and it was and I think like the pressure on Australia like it was it was the script was written for them for the last two years to go and win that like and losing that first game to India was just like oh my god you know so it really it actually just played out so well and the, they naturally made the the hype by not playing their best cricket in the lead up to the final but yeah, it definitely was a defining moment. Absolutely. And just the coverage of it and and the respect and you can see the emotion of the players. And it was definitely it felt like it was, you know, it was broadcast on a par with how a men's final would be. And it's not to say that, you know, we want everything to be the same as men, but you 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 understood the realness for the players the way the way it was done. Yeah, it was brilliant. And do you feel that is a sort of legacy that will be experienced across the globe, really? And like girls in Ireland will have seen that and be like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I think so. And I hope so. And I actually for it's just the access to the coverage, because even I you know at the start of the hundred was when it was on BBC, that's like we get that as domestic TV here. So that's actually a real big one that you could just be flicking through the stations and cricket comes up. So. It depends on obviously the access and the broadcast and that's where I think social media is um, a good one as well, where is you couldn't help but, but see that. But it, again, it would depend on who you follow on social media if you weren't necessarily into cricket. But I think having it on, on free to air TV is is big. So I think, I mean, I'd hope that random girls saw it in, in Ireland, that World Cup final, but more likely they would have just flicked over to the 100 more recently. So I think just getting stuff like that on our free to air TV is is probably probably going to make more of an impact. But yeah, that was like, that final was unbelievable. 
It's so good. And for you yourself as a player, do you have your eye on a spot in one of the 100 teams or would you rather umpire it? I definitely would rather play in it, but I do feel like my my pathway may be a little bit more towards the umpiring side in the 100. As I say, because I actually, people are very kindly asked me, do I have a BB or WBBL contract as well and stuff? And I'm always like, well, if you'd pick Sarah Taylor or would you pick me as your overseas? I'm probably picking Sarah Taylor. So, um, but yeah, my, my pathway, I think, into into those leagues is, is via umpiring for sure. Absolutely. I'd bite your hand off to play in them. But um, yeah, it would be realistic if, at 37. And uh, I'd say my my international average um, would be certainly flicked over very quickly <laughs> on the batting side. Age is just a number. We all see what Jimmy Anderson is doing. Thirty-seven is nothing. Yes, yes. Childlike. You've got time. Yeah, yeah. Childlike. You never know. We could see you playing and umpiring. Can that be a thing? I am. I'd, I'd like for it to be, but probably not. Probably, I'm not allowed umpire actually in in my Irish leagues here. In case I gun someone that I'm up for a selection with which I kind of find interesting. I was like, you're, yeah, but I'm obviously not going to do that. But I guess taking, taking the option out for me. <laughs> and so obviously you've become very visible as an international player, as an umpire. Who is your role model in the umpiring stratosphere when you were growing up? Because obviously we've got people like Claire Polisak, who's the first female umpire of a men's ODI, but who was it for you? So growing up... Um, I'm still growing up, really. So when I, I didn't really notice umpires that much. And now Kathy Cross always umpired any um, international s- stuff we had. So I guess she was a, a visible female umpire. So um, yeah, Kathy was definitely you know there and made it a norm, if that makes sense. And then yeah, Claire and Sue started to do our. I remember in we were in Thailand, so it would have been 2015. I think we were in Thailand. We won the qualifiers there. And there was um, Jackie from West Indies. Claire was there. Sue was there. So it was the first one where there was quite a lot of female umpires. And um, so that was probably where it first kind of was like, oh, there's more than Kathy. And it's kind of a thing. Um, but in terms of, yeah, they're all great. Like, I know I know Claire pretty well. And Sue, like, I've umpired uh, loads of Sue now. Like, they're all brilliant. Like, so in terms of, I mean, they're all role models for me, if that makes sense. And also they'd all absolutely have the phone line open if there was anything and, and information sharing and support as female umpires. I mean, they're all there. In terms of off the TV, uh, Richard Cattenborough is, is one that I, I like watching. I think he's very good, but yeah. So you haven't got a little umpiring WhatsApp group then? Um, there's, I try to actually take myself out of them, not going to lie. <laughs> Just too many questions. Um, no, but we do have, yeah, we have different, like different kind of, platforms that we would converse on and obviously you know like I'd send them the girls a text or whatever if I need and um Eloise Sheridan is there as well um on the um ICT development panel as well and I was bridesmaid at her wedding and stuff so she's she's got my back and I've got her back so there's no you know I just message her if I need anything and for younger girls coming through that want to get into Irish cricket or umpiring or both like yourself for young girls trying to get into cricket or umpiring or both in Ireland, what piece of advice would you give to them? Just do it. I think I think people, certainly with umpiring, people are really hesitant because of the perception. You're like, you know, you're not like a 60-year-old white man, so I'm definitely not doing it. And that's so uncool. But actually, it's really good fun. Um, so if you get a chance, whether it's in, you know, your sister's under 10s game or 
your brother's fours game and the umpire hasn't shown up just if you get an opportunity just go and give it a shot and if you're if you have any interest in cricket absolutely I know my association that I play for here it's Cricket Leinster so get in touch with Cricket Leinster if you're not sure where to play or one of us on on Twitter or whatever but absolutely just just give it a try it's it's really really good fun it's a very social sport as well so even if you're you know in your later later years come down I you know I started playing in Pembroke and it's a bad place to play cricket and I said Pembroke is a very social club and I actually when I moved to Malahide for six years I'd still like socialize in Pembroke and obviously I had friends in both clubs but in just yeah just go it's a great social outlet and if you want to take it serious you can and if you want to just go and make friends and try it you can too there's lots of different options and definitely the game like there's more social settings and if or if you want to go and like fully commit to a league that's there too so yeah whatever whatever option works for you just go for it so obviously as an international player you've gone to many a country many a ground where's been your favorite place to play Perhaps maybe not La Manga because the pitches, oh Jesus, no. the pitches were not great with only one score over one fifty. Yes, um, definitely not. Absolutely not. I actually only had this discussion the other day, but um, in the during the twenty sixteen World Cup in um in India, played in a stadium in Mahali, and that was just so cool. Like I saw the brilliant wicket, great outfield, and had that kind of old school sort of um feel to it. But it was and it was kind of a close sort of environment and yeah yeah it was brilliant yeah Mahali and where would you want to play in the future if you were like right there's a ground I want to play at or umpire at what would it be Mm. it's a difficult one I mean any of the Australian ones I've umpired on Adelaide Oval never played there interestingly enough but I've umpired on it Um, I think though it's got to be Lords really doesn't it like in terms of the pinnacle of cricket or the MCG I mean, Lords do fantastic lunches. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was also there for the Women's World Cup final in 2017, the one day final. That was, yeah, just awesome. Like, because you're, it's a good, it's a good grind as well. And there, I was there for the men's first test match against England as well. So like just the atmosphere that's there, obviously it's historical value and yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to say, yeah, I'd love the MCG as well, because that's also awesome. But yeah, I reckon Lord's first MCG too. And obviously Ireland have got test status. How important was that for the country when it was achieved? Yeah, it was absolutely massive. Now, I'm not sure if if it feels that way right now where we are. So that um, it's just we kind of it happened in the middle of a of a funding cycle basically so I think I think it will be better in years to come but right now finding our feet in in that test status arena because you just there's so many new things that you know you've got to conform to to be a test nation so I think that transition has been a bit difficult but also at the time it was unbelievable and just to have that opportunity to play test cricket and um, I know Ireland Ireland women had actually already played a test match against Pakistan so there was the first Ireland's men, men's test, um, which I was very sure to tell people that there was a difference because we'd already played a test match. But I think, yeah, like it was, it is brilliant. And it, it was a real turning point and amazing to get. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of hard work gone on behind the scenes. But I think 
we will in you know in the next five to ten years we'll we've reaped the rewards now well it is a difficult transition period that's for sure and the scrutiny that that comes with as well like but yeah I'm definitely I'm definitely happy I'm not an administrator in, in Cricket Ireland at the minute that's for sure happy to be a player and so you say that's sort of five ten years in the future what does the immediate future hold for you and the Ireland women's national side well, as I as I mentioned earlier, with those World Cup qualifiers in, I think it's mid November to the start of December. So that is basically our, you know, our holy grail at the minute. We're just back in with a little break after La Manga, and yeah, so we're back in training now, and it's it's full tilt, full tilt for Zimbabwe, and that's it. Obviously, the I mean, the repercussions of of qualification and retaining our tenth ranking is is huge. So it's a it's a massive effort from the girls now, and I think we're all we're all ready ready for it. We've been we've been waiting a long time, so yeah, that's pretty much it. No umpiring at the minute. It's winter now, so I can put my feet up, put my hat box away. It's not winter. Firstly, I mean it might be an island, oh, but it is. I mean, I mean no, I mean no cricket to umpire. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then when do, when will the season kick off again? Like the domestic stuff next year. Our domestic stuff generally starts. Um, mid mid to late april men slightly earlier than women's because there's more fixtures but yeah so hopefully i mean i for the last seven years i've gone to australia for the winter and so i would like to do that again after the qualifiers but we shall wait and see how um how the borders are looking and how expensive flights are but that would be i'd love to go back um after qualifiers anyway and get some umpiring done there as well and playing as well and hopefully in preparation for playing in the championship and what does the domestic side look like in Ireland like do you have four-day cricket do you have a league of one-dayers and t20s or is it just a mixture yeah we don't we don't play anything longer than 50 over cricket so for for our club stuff we have we have a t20s which we play midweek and then we have a 50 over competition that's played at the weekend and you can have the option to play men's cricket if you want, if you're not getting your volume. And then we have our Super 2 series, which is, again, it's T20 and 50 over stuff. And that's generally scheduled around what international stuff we have. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to. I know, actually, even in Australia, they don't play any two-day stuff anymore for the women's. It's all um, T20 and 50 over. But I definitely think for, you know, time in the middle, you can't beat it, whether it's bowling overs or batting overs. But yeah, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And to be fair, most women that play cricket um, at club level aren't massive fans of 50 over, where we obviously, as internationals, we see the benefit and we need to be playing it. But I definitely think there's, you know, they might even go for 40 overs over 50. That last 10 overs is generally a killer. But yeah, I think I think we, we need to play longer format, but I don't, I don't see that happening either. And you've obviously been a great servant to the Ireland women's cricket team, who are other than Gabby Lewis, who are sort of the players that are coming up and who we should be looking out for who could potentially play in the 100 like Gabby? Orla Prendergast is awesome. You might see, have seen some of her highlights on um, on some of the um, social media over the, over the summer. Um, but I play club cricket with her. Actually, she's also been a youth international for soccer as well. So I'm, I've, I've actually coached her like randomly a few years ago as well in soccer. 
but she is an unbelievable athlete. So she's all around. She's unbelievable in the field, bats and bowls, absolute beautiful um, in swingers as well. So she's definitely one um, that I would earmark for, for playing the leagues around the world in the future, for sure. There's plenty of other other young talents coming through, um, but Orla definitely is is up there for sure. So it seems like the future of women's cricket in Ireland is in good hands. Would you say? Um, I think so. Yes. Once we re- once we retain all our players, one of our one of our ex players actually just was played in the Olympics for hockey. So you know we, we always have that you know challenge with retaining because there's so many other sports and they're obviously massively high profile and stuff. So. But yeah, absolutely. There's there's a great crop and we're reaping the rewards of that kind of evolution and there's more underage cricket happening and, and more people coming through. So yeah, definitely in good hands. And eventually when it does come to retire, I know everyone hates the R word. Would you consider going into coaching as well or would you just focus solely on umpiring? Um, I think I'd probably focus solely on umpiring. I mean, I can coach... And I've had good feedback about my coaching. It's not that um, I've had, you know, been told not to do it. Um, it's more that I just, I always, I just always felt anxious before I coached that everybody was going to have a good time. And I didn't, you know, I was like, if I can do something else that doesn't make me anxious. Um, and strangely enough, umpiring doesn't make me anxious, even though it probably should. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I'd go and do a wicket keeping session at a club now tomorrow. That's no problem. That kind of you know, ad hoc stuff or or if someone asked me to come down and, and host a training session for them or if I'm in Australia and my club or my my coach is busy, I'll take the session. That kind of stuff doesn't bother me and I can do it on the fly like that. But I definitely don't have any aspirations to to get into coaching and and but you never know, obviously. But yeah, definitely I, I'm umpiring will be my my cricket pathway for sure. Well it sounds like you've got quite a lot on your plate then really, isn't it? Not just Irish stew and soda bread. No, cheapest no. <laughs> Perhaps very... not the diet. Perhaps not the diet of an athlete. Maybe more of a, you know, one of those standard umpires you mentioned. The so, yeah, yeah. You know, know. A good hearty stew is fabulous. fabulous. And a cheeky Guinness, yeah. you know, to up the iron levels. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. That's gross. But, um, yeah. So obviously, thank you so much for coming on to chat to us. It's been it's been really cool to listen to such a different side of the game like you're umpiring you're playing and then especially in a nation that is up and coming you know you guys you've got some real stars of the future you the investment is coming we we see it and it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing to see how ireland's women's side grows over the years also i love that you had a test match before the men yes yes it's 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 very important and i'm definitely one of those people you know if somebody says the ladies i'll just say women over the conversation like awkwardly and like that happened an awful lot when it was the first test match i was like men's test match um but look if you don't say it nobody else will and most most people are open to uh to open their knowledge on on things so that was good amazing well thank you so much and it's been fab to chat to you i'm sure alex agrees that's been excellent Thank you, girls, and thank well, you thank for all you the so work much, you do. And have a nice afternoon. Oh, we love it. We love women's cricket. Did you know? <laughs> I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. That's great. There's worse things. There's worse things to enjoy. Massive thank you to Mary for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. It was really interesting to pick her brain about wicket keeping and the development of cricket in Ireland. And if you want to keep up to date with the Ireland women's cricket team on Twitter, they are at Irish Women's Crick. And 
if you want to keep up to date with Mary on Twitter and pick her brains about wicket keeping, she is at MaryOLO81. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat, on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at Hannity1194, at GeorgieHeath27, at Cassie Coombs98, and I'm at Alex Jane Pereira on Twitter. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time.